Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin. I'm an investor and the CEO of Cambridge House. And my guest today is Felix Zuloff. Felix is the owner and president of Zuloff Asset Management, a Switzerland-based hedge fund. He's also the president and CEO of Zuloff Consulting. Now, Felix has been in the market for 50 years, 50 years, five decades. Now, when you've survived in the market for five decades, not only survived, but prospered as a professional investor, you have a wealth of experience and perspective that you cannot fake. All right, perspective being the key thing. This, this gentleman has survived the biggest trends, market crashes, cataclysmic events, et cetera, et cetera, uh, more than anybody that I've ever spoken to before. So that's why I wanted to talk to Felix because I'm an investor, I'm not a trader, right? So my average time horizon, if I invest in a company, is anywhere from six months to five to seven years. As a consequence, I cannot afford to be swayed by the daily headlines that try so hard to convince us Every single minute, something major is happening. Now, I get why that occurs, right? The media business model is dependent on getting clicks and capturing your attention. How do you do that? By being really, really exciting. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're correct or that they have your best interest in mind. It almost assures you that they do not. I did a fun exercise about two weeks ago where I pulled up the front page of CNN, Fox News, Wall Street Journal, and then a handful of local papers around where I live. And uh, it was fascinating to watch the front page headlines on a day over day basis, just ping pong back and forth on major issues, complete pendulum swings on everything, right? And uh, you know, I don't fault them, I get it. I'm a capitalist, I understand incentives and this is the business that we've built, right? So they gotta do what they gotta do, but it's, it's something that we need to be wary of, especially if we are investors. So that's where we started with Felix. Where we got into was some bigger trends, that I'm finding super fascinating, uh, one being the rise of populism, which really began to emerge in 2010, then really accelerated in 2016. The second being the rise of safetyism, which began to emerge in 2013, and again, really accelerated with the arrival of COVID, right? Safetyism being uh, the mindset that you'd prefer more intervention and regulation to keep you safe from risk. Now, What's interesting about this to me, why do I care about this right now? Because I don't know, I'm just a curious person. If you look around the world right now, we're all managing the same risk. Every country is managing the same risk. And obviously I'm referring to COVID, but what you'll see is a whole variety of different approaches to risk management. Now, this is to say, if you're in Australia today, life is very different from if you're in Florida. Now, no one's right here. No one knows what the best path forward is. No one's correct because no one's done this before, right? We're all just doing our best, you know, letting our own risk tolerance influence our decisions and then trying to find the best path forward. And it's really, really hard. It's very stressful. And as a consequence, no surprise that anxiety in our communities is supercharged right now. So suffice all this to say, I encourage everybody to lead with compassion in their lives right now. I try to do that. When I succeed, I definitely am happy with who I am. But anyways, you know, my family is one who has dual passports. We have passports to Canada and the US. Now, what I wanted to talk to Felix about was the same as there are safe haven asset classes, right? Those kind of external assets like gold or Bitcoin or even real estate where you can park cash in the event of a market crash. Will there be safe haven locations for people that want to step outside of their current system and find something that more aligns with their core values? And if that is, you know, more involved risk management and more government intervention and protocols that keep you safe from the things you don't want to be exposed to? Will there be locations you can go to to find that? Or on the other side, you know, will there be locations that 
provide more liberty and freedom for those who want to take their chances and go about life, right? And the short answer is yes, absolutely. And we're already seeing that. The longer, more complex answer is how will people migrate to these various locations with complications like passports and international travel? And I don't know. But, you know, for example, looking at the US, very fascinating to me. I love the United States. I'm Canadian. My wife's American. But, you know, and we're in Canada right now. We are frequently having the conversation about if and when we may option our U.S. passports because what I love about the United States is the sovereignty of the states, right? In Canada, regulation and laws are typically quite federal, meaning the country looks relatively similar uh, from coast to coast. Whereas in the United States, with the sovereignty of the states, you know, in the last six months, I've traveled to Washington, Oregon, Idaho, California, Arizona, Texas, Louisiana. I might be forgetting something, but, you know, at a time like this, when we are very engaged in risk management, each one of those states almost operates like a separate country. And that's very appealing to me because you can gravitate towards a location where risk management more suits your preference, right? Now, wh why is this top of mind for me? Because, look, COVID is absolutely a risk and a significant event. But I do believe that in, in 10 years, we'll look back and say, you know, it was, wasn't so much the event, but it was the trigger point for many events that are happening now and ha are still to come. Our life in 10 years is going to look remarkably different. And we're getting tastes of this depending on where you look around the globe, for better or for worse. Once again, nobody knows who's right here. And anybody who tells you they know, they're lying because no one's dealt with this before. So anyways, lots of interesting stuff with Felix. He also lives in a similar country. He's in Switzerland, where the states in Switzerland are very, very independent. He lives in a town called Zouk which is 20 minutes outside of Zurich, but operates almost like its own country. For example, his tax rate is 50% less a 20-minute drive away from Zurich in his town of Zug. So lots of fun stuff with Felix today. Uh, and this kind of stuff fires you up. Like it fires me up. It makes me very curious about just how these events will unfold, right? I'm very curious about this. Then I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Here is Felix Zulaf on The Jay Martin Show. Enjoy. Okay, what's up, guys? Jay Martin here, investor and CEO of Cambridge House, and I'm here with Felix Zuloff. Felix, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on your show. Uh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, it's about time I got you on. I'm, I'm really excited about this. I've got a handful of directions I want to take this conversation, and uh, we're going to make the most of our time. So for anybody who's not familiar with yourself uh, or uh, Zuloff Consulting, could you start there, Felix? Who are you and how do you spend your time? What do you do during the day? Well, I, I used to manage money all my life uh, from uh, age uh, 18 years uh, onward. I sold my money management business uh, a good 10 years ago and uh, manage only uh, proprietary money. Uh, so Zula of Asset Management is my, uh, is my family office. And somebody uh, uh, asked me to write uh, and continue writing my publications that I wrote for my clients, for my money management clients, and uh, make a business out of it. So it's my hobby, actually. But uh, at the same time, uh, it's a business. Uh, and I enjoy it like others uh, like to, um, you know, gardening or whatever. Uh, I like to follow the world, politics, the business cycle rates, currencies, equity markets, commodities, what have you. Uh, this is where I feel home. And, and usually I go to the office um, eight or nine o'clock in the morning, 
used to be six to seven in the old days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and, and then I, I go home over lunchtime, which is five minutes from where my office is. My wife cooks me in all traditional style uh, lunch mm. uh, and spoils me. And uh, and in the afternoon, I'm back in the office. Uh, I trade the markets. Uh, I write, I think. Uh, I go for a walk uh, for about 45 minutes uh, during the day uh, to keep uh, myself uh, fit. And I return home uh, at about six o'clock and I follow the markets until 10 o'clock when New York closes. And in the morning when I wake up at seven or so or before seven, I usually check Asia and that's that's how my life really uh, is is organized i love it okay and for context you're based in zook right in the middle of switzerland uh i'm sure we had some people when you when you said you are you are you eat a very traditional lunch uh traditional in what context so that's where we're at now yeah you got a very early start you mentioned 18 years old began managing money uh if i've got my facts straight at 23 years old you took a very large personal loan to invest in the market really cut your teeth at, at a very young age. So we're talking about a 50 year span, right? From the 1970s through to today. And as a consequence, you've invested through many cycles. And one of the key challenges I see new investors make and one that I fall victim to frequently is, is recency bias, right? We get so wrapped up in the micro events of the now, right? And it affects our decision-making and, and all of this. So. You know, that's that's why this conversation excited me so much, because I hope to get some perspective from you. And so when you look at the markets today, Felix, and I know you're a cycles guy, that's that's your 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 core structure. If I've got that right, you know, talking about where you think we are in what cycles right now and what you think or what you are paying the most attention to. The bigger time span, of course, and I, I, I will be very brief, is when Bretton Woods broke down in the early 70s. And then we had the Falkland years where we reintroduced stability into the system and he cleaned the system and handed it over to Greenspan. And from Greenspan on, we are in a new era. We are in the era of easy money. And with Bernanke, we entered the era of very aggressively easy money and the fiscal policy is out of line. And this is the long, very long secular cycle. Uh, that cycle, I think, will come to an end within the next 10 years. Uh, and then I break it down in secular bull markets in between. Uh, 2009 was a major, major low, a secular low. And from there, we started a secular bull market. And in that secular bull market, I think the 2020 low was the last low in that bull market. In other words, what started in 2020 is the final mini cycle that leads to the final peak of the bull cycle that started in 2009. And, uh, and my hunch is that that peak will probably be about two years from now, 2024. I do see a, a big correction coming in the first half of 2022. I do not believe it's the end of the bull market because I think the authorities are afraid of asset prices going down a lot. And I could very well see that the stock market, instead of declining uh, 10%, could decline 30% because of all the excesses that have built up on the positioning side. 
when you see that in the last 12 months, uh, as much money flowed into equity and equity products as in the previous 20 years. Mm. Uh, so this is a, an excess of a century. And if you have one excess in one direction, that leads to another excess in the opposite direction. So I think we are uh, probably in for a bigger shakeout, the very painful one in the first half, could be down 30%. And that will bring on a renewed stimulus by the authorities that will lengthen the cycle and will lead to the second wave of rising commodity prices and rising inflation. And that should be 23, uh, 24. And uh, I could easily see that, uh, let's say, crude oil declines to $50 or so this summer. Uh, it could then rise to $200 in 2024. And we could see 10% or higher uh, CPI inflation rates in 2024. Uh, so I think uh, 23, 24 is a period of rising rates. Central banks cannot uh, refuse to uh, tighten. They have to tighten. And that will eventually break uh, the stock, uh, the bull market uh, in equities, in commodities, and will shake the whole system and the fabric of the credit system. So I think the downturn after 24, when this cycle ends, will be a very serious one that you compare to um, what happened after 29, for instance a major washout uh, of the system. Of course, the times are different. Uh, government is more important, more involved, uh, more interventionist, more activist this time, but it will lead to a different world and, uh, and a very uh, difficult period with social uh, upheavals and unrest and, uh, and uh, revolutions against the establishment and things like that. So this is the big picture, and this is the cyclical picture in, in very few words. Okay, I love that. So uh, to, to recap, as I heard it, you know, we could look for some kind of a, a sharp correction in the early parts of 2022. On the back of that more stimulus leading to more inflation, rising commodity prices, eventually rising rates causing that, you know, 2024 uh, time span, the real crash in the market that I think we've been kicking the can down the road for a few years here, yes. right? So my question for you then, Felix, is you touched on a different world, right? That that's I love how you phrase that. There'll be a major washout, and then we're going to enter a different world. And as you said, we were in the era of Bretton Woods, and then enter Greenspan, and the the era of easy money, enter Bernanke, and the era of very easy money, enter Powell. Maybe very very easy money. I don't know, but keep this going. I guess my question is, what's the next era then? You know, after the big washout, what's the era after the era of easy money? Well, the washout and correctional period will last uh, about 10 years or so uh, into the early 30s. And there will be uh, huge swings in the marketplace. Uh, the market uh, will then become uh, somewhat controlled by the governments. Uh, there will be more manipulations, more interventions, more regulations. I believe that uh, we will lose part of our freedom. Um, because governments uh, do not want us uh, to be free because otherwise they, they could not control the system anymore and they want to control the system. And there will be a fight between, between those who want to be saved by the government and those who want to be free. You know, uh, those who want to be uh, in a cozy environment where the government takes care of them and others who want to be free 
and decide for themselves. And, and, and it's building up. And I think you see it already with the vaccination, what's going on. And, and it's going to be uh, not just uh, medical and health, it's also becoming economic and, uh, and, then, and then political. Uh, so I think it's a complete social revolution that we are facing. And I cannot tell you how it will work out, but I, I think uh, we could see uh, eventually uh, uh, governments defaulting. We could see currency reforms. Uh, we could see lots of losses of those uh, that have and supports for the have-nots and things like that. So I, I cannot describe you in every detail how it will look like, but I think you have to be prepared for the general direction in which things are moving. What could also come in, which I do not know yet, is usually when you have a difficult uh, economic period, nations tend to, be, to become very nationalistic. Uh, mm. And the Chinese are turning very nationalistic. Um, uh, the U.S. is becoming nationalistic. The Europeans are trying to build a European bloc. Uh, they keep trying. They will never achieve what they have in mind, but, but they keep trying. Uh, and uh, it will create um, problems between individual nations. One wants to become part of a... Uh, a union, uh, United States of Europe, uh, Greater Europe. Uh, others do want, do not want to lose their sovereignty, etc. So lots of problems, and there could be there could be a situation where we have some uh, uh, military um, conflicts. Uh, there are plenty of uh, problems around. I do not believe that China uh, will take Taiwan uh, in a military way. But I guess that Russia will eventually take that part of the Ukraine that is ethnically uh, Russian, which is the eastern mm. part of the Ukraine. I, I think uh, in the very shorter uh, distance, we have probably um, Israel uh, taking out the, the nuclear site of Iran. Something, something will happen. And, uh, and when you see that Russia has moved its uh, 41st Army from Siberia through half of Russia, which is several time zones, that's 100,000 troops to the border of the Ukraine. I don't believe that you do that just for a maneuver. I, I think this is more serious. Mm. So, so there is a lot of things to happen. And unfortunately, the former world policemen used to be strong, powerful, and in control of the system and organized the system the way the Western world liked it, and I'm talking about the US, has now the weakest administration ever, even weaker than the Carter administration. And this is an invitation for problems and troubles uh, around the globe. What's up, everybody? Sorry for the interruption. Quick note, if you enjoy these conversations, I publish a weekly newsletter and it's free where I share my top takeaways lessons learned, and any action steps I might be taking as a consequence in the market. Sign up at cambridgehouse.com. I publish every week and it's free. Now back to the conversation. I see a lot of these trends that you're discussing, this shift towards safetyism, right? And you described it as maybe two communities, one gravitating towards safetyism, 
and more government control for safety reasons, whether that's financial, social, whatever that is, and another that might gravitate more towards freedom and sovereignty, right? And I, I put myself in this camp, uh, absolutely. You know, a big proponent of this show and, and why I do this is because I'm seeking ways to retain my personal sovereignty, right? And that's what makes two of us, Jay. That makes two of us. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, a couple of questions. You know, I, I feel like I, I see the same trends that you're seeing. That you know, and we're we're now seeing a lot of a lot more power shift to the hands of our governments. I'm based in Canada. You know, my wife's American, so I, I culturally pay the most attention to the U.S. and Canada. My kids all have dual citizenship, so we actually have a conversation frequently these days about you know. We're watching the developments in Canada. We're watching the developments in the U.S. and wondering, you know, will there be a time in the near future where we're going to option these U.S. passports? Because here's a question for you. What I love about the U.S. is the sovereignty of the states, right? You, I've been in the last six months, I've been to Arizona, Texas, Louisiana, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and every state operates at this moment with all the travel restrictions and, and social restrictions, almost like its own country. So. You know, depending on what your risk tolerance is or your freedom requirements are, you can find a state that more likely fits that than being in, in a place like Canada where it's more federal, more blanket regulation, right? So do you see that changing in the US where there's more and more, I guess, more and more division or difference and separation between the states? You see federal government controls trying to limit that. Do you have any thoughts on that, Felix? Well, if you go back to the founding fathers, I think the founding fathers wanted the wanted a union, but wanted to have very powerful uh, sovereignty in the individual states, and and I think that's the basic of the U.S. Um, the founding block uh, for the U.S. and uh, Switzerland is very similar, by the way. Uh, our uh, political system has been built according to the U.S. system. We have a sort of a Senate and sort of a representative house. And even the cantons, which are our states, have even more power than your states, even more power. So the tax sovereignty is not with the federal government. That's only a small share. The tax sovereignty is with the individual states. And therefore, they are competing. And the competition is what makes you strong making every, everything equal makes you weak. Mm. Uh, so, so you need to have competition to make progress and to uh, uh, create a better world. And I cannot tell you how it will turn out, but I would assume that uh, 10 to 15 years from now, the world will have more countries than today mm. because of secessions. There will be secessions because uh, some ethnic groups may say, well, to the other group, well, you know, we had a good time so far, but now we disagree and it's better for us to be good neighbors than march uh, along each other side. And that's what I see ahead. And, uh, and I think uh, you will also see those breaks within the European Union. There are rifts going through the European Union in all directions on immigration, uh, you have Germany on one side, which is very soft, and you have Eastern Europe uh, and, and France uh, being very tough. Uh, they disagree. Then you have, um, you, you have had Germany that used to be tough on stability, 
and the government debt and indebtedness, uh, uh, and you had France and Italy and Greece that are on the other side. Now Germany has uh, given in. Uh, they are becoming more French and uh, more Italian-like, and they will pay for all the sins in Europe, and they do not realize that uh, they will be very weakened and will never be the Germany again that they used to be over the last 50 years. Mm. So, so there are all sorts of problems, and the UK broke away from the European Union because they hold up freedom in much higher esteem uh, than the Europeans, which uh, mm. Europe, the Europeans are socialists uh, by nature, in a way, some countries more than others, some individuals more than others, but, uh, you know, you can see from the government share of GDP which is which has jumped in the US from the low 20% to the high 30% in a few years time. Uh, you see in, in, in Europe, you have uh, Germany that has jumped to 54%, uh, the European Union 59%, France 64%, government share of GDP. You know, that's socialism. And, and therefore, Europe will not be very competitive in the uh, future ahead because mm. of all that. That's really interesting. And I actually didn't know a lot of that about Switzerland, how sovereign the states were until we hopped on this call. And you mentioned, for example, where you are in Zouk, what did you say? A 50% break in your taxes compared to if you lived in Zurich, which is a 20 yeah. minute drive away. Yeah. That's correct. Yes. Even in the military, we have, uh, we have, I mean, it's under the guidance of the federal government, but you have um, uh, troops that belong to each state, so to speak. Okay. Uh, so we have state troops and we have federal troops all under the guidance of the, of the federal government. Okay. Interesting. Now, therefore, let's, let's follow this trajectory of more government control. Yes, you've got the US as the global superpower now on their heels. Whenever anyone's on their heels, you can expect more extreme measures to retain power. You see that in any, see that in, in a boxing match, right? You start swinging for the fences sure. when you know you've got the clock ticking against you. Uh, so therefore, do you see more safe havens begin to emerge? And if put yourself in my position as somebody who runs a business that's 90% location independent, I could be anywhere, right? You know, so we're looking at relocating to somewhere where sovereignty might be stronger, somewhere like Texas, maybe somewhere like Switzerland. Do you think you'd go somewhere like that? Or do you go to a highly unorganized country where things are just likely to remain sovereign because the country's a bit of a mess? I, I'm talking about some developing nations. It's, it's too early to say, uh, because there is a movement that is trying to uh, uh, get rid of sovereign nations and have a world government. You know, you, when, you, when you read the, the Great Reset the program by the World Economic Forum, they are trying to change the world and they are trying to change it toward global socialism and they want to remove major power from large powers like the, UN, uh, the US and, and give the power to the UN we recently had a vote in, uh, in the UN that they wanted to make um, uh, climate uh, investments for every nation, that every nation had to subscribe and sign 
that they have to a certain percentage of GDP uh, put into investments against climate change. And uh, due to Russia's and China's veto, we didn't get it. But mm. you see it on taxes. There is now an agreement in the OECD. The OECD used to be an organization to help economic planning for each nation. And it has become now a, a, a body for the internationalists to uh, cooperate and dictate uh, minimum tax rates in the world. You know, it's, it's terrible. They have decided the corporate tax rates at the minimum must be 15%. And the US signed uh, and, and, and all the European side, I talked to our government, they signed and they signed because they say, if we do not sign, they will, they will blackmail us and they will make our life miserable. Therefore, you have these different movements that are going on and these trends, uh, most people are not aware of it, but it's a big fight. And I hope that uh, these dark pools behind the World Economic Forum that are pushing for this change are losing out eventually, but it will be a tough struggle. Okay. Now you all also talked about some some cultural cycles that we're witnessing right now and a shift in thinking. And, and you know, back to to what you shared about like it's you know maybe two teams, one driving towards safetyism, one driving towards freedom. We we saw this rise of populism begin to accelerate before the pandemic occurred. Now the pandemic's just been like added pressure on a lot of these trends because you just add 10 points to everybody's baseline anxiety, if nothing else. Here's a question for you, Felix. One thing I'm wondering about, I've got three young boys. They're, they're one, three, and five, right? So we're just beginning to think about education and how we're going to raise our kids and what kind of experiences we want them to have and all this stuff. And, and a key component of most cultures that I noticed today that's missing is a coming-of-age ritual, right? That sort of marks the transition from childhood to adulthood. And I think it's really important because, you know, I look around me today and I see a lot of my friends in their 30s still kind of wandering around like lost children, you know, and, and I wonder how much of that, that loss of identity and, and loss of some sort of coming of age ritual, which in, in most, most societies of the past is quite, quite prevalent. It's like the common denominator. There's always something that marks the shift from childhood to adulthood. We don't have that now. Am I, is, that a, is that a weird thing to wonder about that that's missing? And maybe that's one of the root causes that people are now looking for someone else to protect them, someone else to keep them safe instead of just owning their response, owning their life and owning their future. It's an important point. Uh, and, uh, and I think the social media uh, boom that we have been seeing in recent years due to the internet uh, has really reinforced that people, instead of getting to know themselves, are running for something that other people show them how to be and what to be. And therefore, they want to be someone else or like someone else, but they do not know themselves and do not know what makes them really happy in their life. And I think the most important thing for a young person is to find out what you really like and what you love and what would make you happy in life. And, and that really tells you what profession you should take in which direction you should go. And then it depends where you stand in the long-term cycle. And if you match your requirements and your loves, 
that you that you like to and activities that you like to pursue, then you can match the environment and your own uh, talents and then become successful and happy because when you are successful, you become happy. Uh, and if you are not successful and if you are chasing something that is out there and you want to be like somebody else, you will never be a happy person. You will become a sheep and you will follow what the, the big guru up there tells you, whether it's the government or a social media star or whatever, you know. And, and I think the majority of the people are sheeps, un, unfortunately, in, instead of getting to know themselves and finding their own way. And this has nothing to do with the level of education. That is true on all levels. It mm. has nothing to do with that. Uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody cleaning the streets is wiser in finding out what makes him happy in life than a university professor. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And this lack of identity that I see, I mean, if you if you lack your an idea of what you are and, and therefore what you want to be, then how could you feel confident that you could be competitive, right? Because competitive at what, right? If yeah. you lack the belief that you could be competitive, then the thought that you'd want to retain any sovereignty or direction, you know, independent direction of your life would be lacking because you wouldn't be clear on what that could be. You, you have to know whether you are a person who wants to be guided or whether you are a person who wants to guide. You know, this, this is also important uh, because this decides which way you should go in your professional activities and career. And, the, you know, the, the, the saddest outcome would be somebody who decides they want to be guided because they've never tried guiding, right? And so, you know, I know we're uh, running against the clock here, but what, what sort of advice would you have, Felix? I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm like, everybody needs to try leading. Everybody needs to try guiding. They, they need to step out front to see if they like it. You know what I mean? And, and maybe try failing at it and try it again. That's, that's usually the, the process that works. As parents, uh, and you are a father as I am, you see very early uh, what your kids, uh, what the nature of your kids is. Some, when you are on the playground with other kids, you see very clearly who are those who want to guide and dictate and say, we go in this direction. And you see others who are just running after them when they run ahead. You know, it's, it's, it, you see it even at the kid's age, you see it. And then it develops over time and some kid develop earlier and some kid later. Yeah. Uh, and you have to follow that. Uh, it's, I think it's nature. It's, uh, it's a natural thing. Uh, the majority probably wants to be guided. And the, the majority of people are happy if they have um, a, a regular job, a stable income, uh, uh, some uh, well-being, they can go to sport events, cultural, cultural events, uh, some vacations, some traveling, and then they are happy. Others are only happy if they can only decide for themselves which way they want to go, you know. Uh, so it, it's, it's different. It's different. It's different. And, you know, here's the, here's the fact that I believe no matter what box you land in, you are the only author of your life and you only get one chance to author this life. And so what are you going to do with it? Right. You don't get those days back and you create your own right. reality. Absolutely. 
and uh, everybody else creates theirs, right? So you're very wise for your age, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Look, um, we're, we're over time here. I really appreciate you making time to chat with me, Felix, and to get in front of my audience. Uh, I feel like I could, I could keep you for another two hours and just keep going on so many other threads and buckets. So I'd love to do this again sometime. What I want to leave uh, you and your audience with is uh, the next uh, 10 years are, to diff are going to be very different from the last 10 years. Uh, I think in the last 10 years, in, in your investment approach, you had to be a passive investor, buy and hold. If you could pick the right stocks, the right six stocks uh, in the world that went up like uh, the Microsofts and the Googles, Perfect. But if you were a passive investor, you did extremely well. That approach will not work again in the next 10 years. The next 10 years will be a roller coaster in the markets, and you will have to time the market cycles. And on top of that, you have to be a good um, a stock picker and pick the right stocks. So when you look at the valuation of equities today, and you compare it in the past, what sort of 10-year real return you got uh, from today's level for world equities as well as for U.S. equities, you get the real return of 0% or even a little bit less over the next 10 years. But the next 10 years will not be a straight line at zero. It will be a roller coaster. And if you want to uh, create a bigger or a higher return than zero, you have to time the cycles. That's very, that's very important. And therefore, you have to adapt to it. And there are not that many people around because the old guys like me, uh, they may do it for themselves, but they, there are not many Stanley Druckenmillers and Tudor Joneses around. Mm. And the young breed of hedge fund managers are long, short people who are basically long with a few shorts to justify higher fees. But, but whether they, they have proven, most of the majority has proven that they cannot really add value in down markets. And uh, I have been fortunate. I have um, made good money in every bear cycle since I'm in the market. And, and that is a, a compounding effect that you don't want to lose in the long term. So I usually make a little bit less than I should uh, on the upside but I never lose on the downside and usually make money. And that's the compounding effect that helps you over time. So the next 10 years will be different. Prepare yourself, read some books, uh, uh, discuss it with your colleagues, with prof professionals, et cetera, et cetera. That's very important. So, so what's the play? I have to ask there because timing cycles and, and timing highs and lows is something most investors just won't be able to do for lack of time investment. They work a nine to five, they've got family obligations. So they only have a few hours to look at the market. You know, if the, the long-term buy and hold strategies off the table in the broad equities market, where, where do they go for that? Is it safe? Well, assets? Then you have to find, then you have to find a, a professional who does it for you. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, in, a, in a cycle, you, you don't have to, I, I don't mean to trade every two or three weeks, uh, uh, short and long. Uh, the cycles usually last uh, two years up and uh, a year or two down and, and things right. like that. Right. And you have to have a certain understanding of what makes uh, prices move. Uh, usually that's liquidity. So it's the monetary side of the aspect. 
And then you look at valuation and positioning that tells you how high or how low the risk is. And, uh, and then you look at certain sentiments. And when you see like in the last 12 months that all of a sudden the amount of money that was put into equities in the previous 20 years goes into the market in one year, that tells you you are not at the bottom, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. Felix, th thanks so much. Thanks again. I'd love to do this again sometime. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, yeah. Jay. All the All best. Right. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.